0: I'm hey, really glad y'all are here today. Uh, I know you could have been a lot of different places today. Uh, you didn't even have to come to church, uh, and then as, if you wanted to go to church, there's no shortage of ones to come to in Greenville County and Spartanburg County, but I'm uh, really glad that you are here today with us at Freedom Fellowship. If this is your first time, uh, let me again say an extra special welcome to you. Those of you that are here every week, I'm glad to see y'all too, uh, but those of you it's your first time, I really am glad to, uh, glad to see you here today and uh, just want to let you know we do this every week, and we do it right in here every week. And, uh, and so we'd love for you to come back with us. What you saw right there, we're starting a new series of messages today called Cover to Cover. We're obviously going to talk about Jesus today. That's why we're here, but we're going to talk about Jesus every day during this series, every Sunday. And we're going to talk about the fact that Jesus, you can find him in Genesis all the way through Revelation, that Jesus is the central um, the central point of Scripture. He is the central event of history. And so that's, that's what we're going to talk today. And I hope that, that as you've come here today, that <clears throat> that you will find something significant out of today. And I know that's a, that's a, a funny thing, or maybe a, 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 in today's world, the word significant has lost all its significance. Because we live in a world now where all of us, and I'm guilty of this, we advertise everything we do on Facebook and Instagram as if it's, we're the only people that's ever happened to. You know, look, hey, I'm going to the dentist today. I thought I'd take a selfie on Facebook or look at me. I raked leaves, you know, and we, we just—that's all we do—is we just promote ourselves all the time, and so—and we also live in a world where nowadays all it takes to be famous is you just got to be willing to go on TV and act like an idiot, and, and they'll make a reality show about you, and so we live in a world where when we talk about something being significant, it doesn't really seem all that significant anymore. But but what we're going to talk about today, I think, is of great significance. In fact, I believe it's of primary and ultimate significance. See there's a there's a lot of uh, life-changing events. All of us have experienced life-changing events. It doesn't matter who you are at some point you've had something happen to you that was life-changing. If if you if you got married, definitely life-changing. If you got divorced, Once again, definitely life-changing. If you change schools, you go from middle school to high school, that's seriously life-changing. You graduate from school, that's life-changing. If you change jobs, life-changing. Or if you are forced to change jobs because someone said they didn't want you to come back to work there anymore, definitely life-changing, right? And all of us have been through life-changing events. Well, life-changing events are different than world-changing events. And what we're going to talk about today is a world-changing event. See, world-changing events are life-changing because they happen to us, but life-changing events aren't necessarily world-changing. For instance, uh, World War II, that's a world-changing event. Everybody knew it when it happened. That was a world-changing event. And then there's some other events that happen that, <clears throat> that take place over time that became world-changing. You didn't know it as it was happening. For instance, uh, everyone now has, seems to have a personal computer and be hooked up to the Internet. That's a world-changing event. It just took a long time to get there, but it, the world's a different place than it was 30 years ago because of that. But now our life-changing events, sometimes we think they're world-changing, but they're really not. Like, for instance, when you have kids. Um, And listen, I was guilty of this. Sherry and I were. And all of you that have been parents since Sherry and I, I know you've been guilty of this as well. You think that when your baby is born, then just the world has changed. But it hasn't. That child is probably just going to grow up and be a regular person. They're never going to do anything super significant, all right? They're just going to be normal like you. And you're like, oh, Cliff, that's so terrible. No, they'll be significant. But it's not like they're going to be the president. Maybe they will. But, but, you know, we have these kids and we think, oh, look at me. I've got this child. He's so special. He's the only one that's ever been like this. He is so beautiful. And everybody else is like, yeah, I got five of those. <laughs> and they're going to spend all your money. Just wait, right? <clears throat> but it's not a world-changing event. But, but what we're going to talk about today is, a, is an event that took place a long time ago. And it really did change the world. See, there was this man that was born. His name was Jesus Christ. And he grew up in this, this little town called Nazareth. And that's where he was. And he had his parents. And he grew up. And at first, when he was a child, and as he got to be a teenager and a little bit older, he seemed like a pretty normal guy. There wasn't a whole lot about him that people looked at and thought he was a lot different. He was a carpenter's son, and he probably, we think, probably went on jobs with his father Joseph, and they probably did some work together. And, and so he was just pretty normal. But, but then as he began to get older, he began to study to be a preacher. Now, they didn't call them preachers back then. That's what we call them here in South Carolina. You talk about, you'll go home today and you'll say, I didn't like what that preacher said today, or did you like what the preacher said? That's what we say here. But there they were called rabbis. And he began to study to be a rabbi. And it took years and years of study. And then at that time, you weren't even allowed to do what I'm doing today. You weren't allowed to stand up and teach until you were 30 years old. And so when he was 30 years old, he began to teach. He began to teach the things that he had been learning. And, and when he began to teach, all of a sudden, he was not normal anymore. Because as he taught what the Scripture tells us, there were accounts of people that heard him talk and they said this. They said, his teaching is powerful. They said, something is different. We've heard all the other guys that teach. We've heard all the other teachers of the law. We've heard them, and their teaching is just okay. But his teaching is different. His teaching has power behind it. And so all of a sudden, he was no longer normal. And then after his teaching, guess what he started doing then? He started healing people. Now, I'm not talking about TV preacher, 1-800-SEND-ME-YOUR-CASH-BE-HEALED preaching. I'm talking legit healings. I'm talking where a guy is carried in by his friends. He's never been able to walk. And then after Jesus touches him, he walks back home after it's over with. I'm talking people coming up to him that were blind and Jesus spitting on the ground and making mud and rubbing it in their eyes and then washing that out. And then all of a sudden they can see for the first time in their life. So he, he began to teach. He began to heal. And then all of a sudden, everybody knew who he was. Now, if that was all Jesus ever did, If all he ever did was teach the lessons that we have written down in the Bible, if all he ever did was heal people, he would have still have been a great person. He would have been a great man, and I believe that a lot of people would still today know who he was. His name would have been passed on through history, and maybe it would have been something that you would have talked about in history class. There was this old teacher back in in Israel a long time ago, and His name was Jesus, and He taught these things, and and you would have known who He was. But see, that's not where the story ends. That's not why He was so significant. See, what made Him the most significant figure in the history of the world, what made His life so significant and and life-changing and world-changing was that He died on a cross, but He didn't stay dead. He rose again. And see, the, the thing about dying on the cross... Even that was commonplace back then. Uh, In fact, because where Jesus lived, this place called Jerusalem in uh, in Israel over there, Jerusalem area, um, they they were not uh, governing themselves anymore. See, this, this nation had been taken over by a little nation maybe you've heard of in school called Rome. And Rome had come in and had taken over. And so they were occupying that nation. And so they had set up their own government. They had set up all their own laws and rules. And so if you broke a Roman rule, if you broke certain laws, you could be sentenced to death. And the way they chose to kill you back then is they didn't have lethal injection or the gas chamber or even the firing squad. What they had was they would nail you to a cross. And they would lay you down and they'd drive stakes through your wrists and they would drive stakes, stakes through your feet and they would hang you up and you would suffocate to death and then the vultures would come down and they would clean your, bone, your body clean while you hung up there nude for everybody to see. That's what the Romans did to maintain order where that was. And it was so commonplace that some historians have said that there were over 10,000 crucifixions that happened just in Jerusalem alone while the Romans were in charge. So so when I tell you that Jesus was crucified, you need to understand that that was commonplace back then. The the crucifixion happened all the time. In fact, if you lived in Jerusalem in that time period, chances are you had seen a crucifixion, and chances are even greater you knew someone personally who had been crucified. That's how common it was. So what makes Jesus' crucifixion different? What makes his crucifixion? the most significant thing that's ever happened in the history of the world. Well, if you have a Bible today, if you don't, don't worry. It's going to be on the screen. If you have a Bible that you can open or one that you can open on your phone, I want you to look at the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, that's in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. There was this guy named Paul who, like Jesus, was also a, a preacher, a rabbi, and uh, he did a lot of teaching, and, uh, and Paul... Uh, he had an experience with Jesus and it changed his in complete, it completely changed his life and he began to write about who Jesus was and he wrote these letters to people and one of these letters we have here is, is called the letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And this is what Paul says in uh, verses 1 through 3 and we're going to find out why the, the crucifixion of Jesus was so significant. Paul said this, Now I would remind you brothers of the gospel I preached to you. Now, let me stop right there. Gospel is an old-timey word that simply means good news. And we use that word a lot, and maybe you don't understand what it means. It sounds kind of foreign, but it simply means good news. And Paul is saying, what I'm about to tell you is good news. This is good stuff. You better pay attention to it. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. Let me say that again. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That's the difference between the crucifixion of Jesus and all the thousands of crucifixions that had already happened before Jesus was crucified. See, There were thousands of people who had been killed for their own actions, that had been killed for their own things that they had done wrong. But Jesus was the first and only one who was crucified for the actions of others. See, the word sin, I understand. Listen, I live in the same world you live in. We don't like the word sin anymore. In fact, the word sin is mostly absent from vocabulary outside of church. You're never going to watch a sitcom and hear the word sin. You're never going to watch CSI and hear the word sin. You're never going to hear the word sin on CNN or Fox News. They don't talk about sin in the culture that we live in. See, because everything that people used to call sin is now called acceptable. But what the Scripture says and, and what it teaches clearly from beginning to end, is that there are things that God has put in place, ways that we're supposed to live, and when we live opposite of the way God has instructed us to live, we have sinned. It's not a, I know it's not fun to hear about, but here's the, here's the other thing that, that the, the, the Scripture teaches us about sin. In fact, the Apostle Paul, who wrote this book, he also wrote a letter to the, to the Romans, and it said this, in the letter to the Romans, said that all have sinned. And fallen short of God's glory. Now, all in the Bible means all. It means you, and it means me, and it means sweet old ladies, and it means everybody. We have all sinned. Now, as I stand up there today, and you're thinking, Cliff, I came to church with my grandmother to make her happy, and now you're telling me I'm a sinner and a terrible person. I'm not telling you you're a terrible person, but I'm telling you a sinner, and I'm telling myself I'm a sinner. We've all sinned. None of us are perfect. And here's the thing that I think we know about that. I think deep down, we know it i don't think you needed me to tell you that today i don 't know about you. How many of you and, and uh, I want you to raise your hand because I, I want to just feel like i'm not alone up here. How many of you ever done something stupid? you just done something good see I, I that's like one of my hobbies is doing stupid things. I majored in college and doing stupid stuff, and so i've just done as I look back on my life, you know i don't know if you've ever heard sometimes you'll hear like interviews with famous people and they're saying yeah I look at my life and I know I made some mistakes but I wouldn't change anything and I'm thinking man if it was me if I could go back I'd change a whole bunch of stuff I've made some stupid decisions in my life now I don't know about you but but have you ever made a stupid decision and you knew it was stupid but you were in a situation where then you had to listen to someone else tell you how stupid it was Now, those of you that are teenagers, you're like, yeah, I do that every day and my parents are all the time on my case. You know, whether it's parents, whether it's a boss, whether it's your spouse, whether it's a a principal, whether it's a teacher, whatever it is, sometimes we do stupid things and then someone wants to tell us how stupid it is and you're sitting there thinking, okay, yes, you're right, I, I really don't need you to tell me that. I know that it's stupid. I don't have to have anyone remind me of it. I think that's the way our lives are. I think that's the way we are when it comes to sin. I think that deep down inside, we know we're not perfect. I think that deep down inside, we know that we've done things that are selfish. We know we've done things to manipulate other people. We know we've done things on purpose to hurt someone else. And when we're all quiet, when we're all alone at night, and the lights are turned off, and you're laying there trying to get to sleep, that kind of stuff comes into our mind. And I want you to know today that what the Scripture says, what the Apostle Paul here says is true, that when Jesus died on the cross, that he died for that stuff in your life. That that's the reason why he went to the cross. And see... The Apostle Paul in another book that he wrote, he said it this way. He said that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So here's the good news about that. Is that that means he died for sins that had not even yet been committed. See, when Jesus died, we're talking about that happened a couple thousand years ago. I wasn't around then. I hadn't been born. My life of doing stupid things hadn't even started yet. But when Jesus went to the cross and he died... He died for the sins that I would commit later on. He died for the sins that I'll commit next week. He died for the sins that I'll commit next year. He died for all sins. And that's what the gospel is all about. That's the good news, is that someone went and took your punishment for you. That punishment was for me. That punishment was for you. That punishment was for all of us who are sinners. But Jesus took it for us instead. Now what else does the Apostle Paul say there? After, uh, Let me read verse 3 again and then verse 4. He says this, "...for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried..." And now this is when it really gets weird, "...that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures." Now, this is the other thing that makes this event that I'm talking about the most important event in all of human history. Not only was Jesus the only person that was ever crucified for the sins of someone else, but then he did not stay dead, but he came back to life. Now, let me tell you something. That was not normal back then. Because I think sometimes we read the Bible and it's like, oh, yeah, this happened a long time ago. And back then, that the kind of stuff just happened. People came back to life. No, it was just as weird then as it is today. Imagine with, if, with, with me, if you will, that, that someone we all know has died. And after the service, I say, hey, they're having a visitation down at Wood Mortuary. And so we all get together and we drive down and we go to Poinsett Street in Greer and we go around the back of Wood Mortuary, where probably most of you have been. And we walk in. And as we're getting ready to come in, there's Greg Jones, who runs the mortuary standing there with his suit looking good like he always does and he looks at us and he says hey i don't know what y'all are here for but the guy that you came to see just a while ago he busted out of the casket and walked out of here i mean that would be crazy wouldn't it and it was just as crazy back then That kind of stuff just did not happen. But what Paul's saying is, listen, it happened here. I'm telling you that that Jesus was was crucified. Not only was He crucified, but He was put in a tomb and He did not stay in the tomb. And then what Paul says about that is that he says in verse 3, he says, I delivered to you as of first importance. That is what he's saying is this is the most important message that we can talk about. Now, I I don't know what your church background is today as you're here. I don't know if you grew up in church and you walked away because you just got tired of what church was all about. I don't know if you've never been to church, or I don't know if you've, you've, uh, you know, this is, you've been coming for a while, whatever it is. But I will tell you that as a pastor, sometimes we can be guilty of not being very clear of what message we're trying to communicate as a church. And maybe you've heard some messages that a pastor has communicated and you just didn't like it. My daddy talks about, he grew up in church his whole life, and he talks about different pastors they had come through his church when he was young. And he said, he, he said, we had this one pastor, he said, the only thing I think he wanted to talk about was how much he didn't like Catholics. Now, I'm sure that's not all that pastor talked about, but as a child, that's what my daddy heard. And I don't know what you've heard coming out of this church or any church. Maybe you've heard some messages you don't like. Maybe you've heard some messages that to you sound hateful, that sound mean, and you just don't don't deal with it. You don't like it at all. But I want to be very clear to you today. I want to be crystal clear, as clear as I possibly can be. And if you don't hear anything else, I want you to hear this. So tune in right now. That the most important message that we can share as a church, the most important message that there has ever been is this, that Jesus Christ died on a cross, He really died, that he was put in a tomb, he was really buried, and that on Sunday morning his heart began to beat and breath entered his lungs and he stood up and he walked out of that tomb just as alive as you are today. That is what I want you to understand as the truth. That's the most important message that we can talk about. And Paul says that. That's the important message. And that's the message that has changed the world. And that's the message that can change your life today. Now, let's just address the, uh, the elephant in the room here. I'm standing here and I'm telling you that a guy that lived 2,000 years ago died and came back to life. And you're thinking, Cliff, am I just supposed to take your word for that? I understand that that's hard to accept. And, and here's the way what I know about you is maybe there's some of you right now that are thinking, that's a bunch of malarkey. Maybe not malarkey. You're probably using another word that I don't want to say up here on stage. And, uh, but you're thinking that. That's, that's just crazy. But you're not going to say that out loud because your mama raised you to be polite and not to talk while other people are talking. And I appreciate your mama for doing that so that you're still listening to me. But let me tell you what the Apostle Paul said about that. This is what Paul said about, okay, I understand this is hard to believe, but look what he says. Look at verse 5. It says, well, first of all, verse 4, it says that he raised, raised again on the third day, according to the Scriptures, then verse 5, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. What Paul is saying here is he's saying, listen, I understand that what I've just told you sounds crazy. I understand that it's not normal for a man to, to die and then come back to life. But if you don't believe me, I'm going to give you a list of people that you can go and ask because they saw it for themselves. These were eyewitnesses. They were there. They saw Jesus alive. They saw Jesus die on the cross. And then they saw Jesus alive again. And see, he lists off people that we know about. We, we can read their stories in other places in the Bible. See, what the New Testament is, the New Testament is a collection of eyewitness accounts. It's a collection of eyewitness accounts of people saying, I saw Jesus alive. I know he died, and then I saw him alive again. And he talks about Cephas. That's a guy that you might know better by the name of Peter. Peter was his his nickname. And and Peter was a guy who he followed Jesus around for about 3 years and he was kind of Jesus right hand man and and then when when Jesus was arrested and was about to be crucified Peter got brave and he said I'm going to follow him I'm going to all the rest of everybody else ran off I'm going to follow him and then he was brave right up until a little 12 year old girl looked at him and said aren't you one of Jesus followers and he said oh I'm scared and he ran home now but then what did he do later well then he was so bold and so brave that he stood up in front of Thousands of people, and he said, y'all are responsible for killing Jesus. And you need to turn from your wicked ways, and you need to give your life to Jesus. And it says that 3,000 people did that on that day. Now, what causes the change in a man that he would be scared of a little girl's accusation to stand it up in front of people, didn't care if he got arrested, didn't care if he got murdered? What would cause that change? I'll tell you what caused that change. Because he saw a dead man alive again walking around, and he got to talk to him. And then it talks about the 12 apostles. Well, one of those was a guy named John. Now, John, after he saw Jesus alive again, he talked so much about it and wouldn't shut up so much about it. You know what the Roman government did to him? They finally put him on an island living by himself because he would not stop teaching about Jesus. And they said, we've got to find a way to shut this guy up. And so they put him out on an island living all by himself. And then it says there that that, that Paul mentions James, that you can go ask James. Let me tell you who James was, and this to me is the most amazing one out of all. James was Jesus' baby brother. Now, how many of you had a brother or a sister that was older than you that did everything perfect and you grew up in their shadow and you resented them for it? Any of you ever had that? Yeah, I know some of y'all did. See, I was the oldest in my family, and I set the bar really low for my younger sister. I made like C's and B's in school, so she never had to have a teacher say, oh, you're Cliff's sister, we're expecting big things from you. But, but imagine, imagine, growing up, imagine growing up in the shadow of Jesus. That's what James had to deal with. The perfect son, the perfect brother, the perfect friend. And that was who he had to grow up in the shadow of. And James resented it so much that we know that before Jesus was crucified, James didn't believe that Jesus was who he said he was. He didn't believe Jesus was the Son of God. In fact, there's one story in Scripture where it says that Jesus is teaching and James and some of his other brothers show up where Jesus is teaching and try to get him to shut up and come back home. Come on, Jesus. You know that's not who you really are. Quit deceiving these people. Just come on back home to the carpentry shop and be quiet. That's what James did. But then you know what happened? Jesus was crucified. Jesus was resurrected. And guess who became a believer? I'm talking a huge believer. I'm talking a leader of the church. It was James. And in fact, we have a whole book of the Bible called James that he wrote where it talks about how to follow Jesus. Now, what causes that change? I'll tell you what causes that change. As he saw his brother die on a cross, and then he got to hang out with his brother again after that happened. That totally changed his life. See, here's the other cool thing about this. We know that the book of 1 Corinthians, this letter that Paul wrote, it was written about 20 years after the crucifixion. 20 years later is when it was written. Now, I'm at the point of my life where I can remember things that happened to me 20 years ago. Some of you are that way too. Now, I understand that I'm probably going to get to another point in my life where I can no longer remember those things that happened to me 20 years ago. But right now, I'm in that area where I'm old enough to remember things that happened 20 years ago, and I'm young enough not to have forgotten them yet. And and um, this coming September, September of 2014, Sherry and I will have been living in Greer for 20 years. We moved here in September of 1994. And, and when we moved here, um, Sherry was, as my aunt used to say, she was bad off pregnant. I mean, she was, everything on her was swollen. She couldn't wear shoes because her ankles were so fat. She was just about to burst with child. And... um and so we moved in, and, and, and we, uh, we got here, and our furniture didn't arrive for about nine days. And so we were at the brand-new Comfort Inn. It was brand-new back then on, on Wade Hampton, which got old after about 36 hours, but that's where we were. And, uh, and then one day, our, our furniture arrives. And so we drop everything. I was working and, uh, and, and Sherry was laying down trying not to have a baby. And, and so we take off over to the house and we start getting our furniture. And people from our church, Fairview Baptist Church, where we were then, they showed up to help us. And I'll never forget, now remember this is 20 years ago, Lonnie Scholl, who was the pastor at Fairview at that time, he came in with Bojangles, back two big old bags of Bojangles. Now we had just moved back here I grew up in Columbia. Sherry grew up here. We had lived in South Carolina our whole lives, but we had been in school in New Orleans. Now, in New Orleans, they don't have Bojangles' chicken. They got Popeye's chicken, which is really good, but they don't have Bojangles' chicken. And so he came in with Bojangles, and as he walked in, I immediately started thinking, hmm, I hope there's some season fries in there. And so I followed him into the kitchen, and I opened up the bag, and guess what was sitting right on top? A big old thing of seasoned fries. And I hadn't had seasoned fries in about three years. And I didn't even, like, call anybody else in there. I just started eating them, right? I loved them. Because in, in the top 10 of fast food fries, for me, Bojangle Season Fries is number one. McDonald's is number two, but Bojangle Season Fries is number one. And I was eating those fries, and I was just loving it and enjoying it and thinking to myself, man, it's good to be back in South Carolina where I can get some season fries. I love that. Now, that happened 20 years ago. Now, let me ask you this question. If I can vividly recall something as insignificant as eating french fries 20 years later, don't you think that Peter, James, John, the rest of the apostles can remember whether or not their friend who was killed came back to life or not? I think they can remember it clearly. And that's why Paul says, listen, He appeared to over 500 people. Most of them are still alive. If you don't believe me, go ask them. How is it? How is it that a small, little offshoot brand of Judaism became a worldwide belief system for millions and millions of people? I'll tell you how it is. Because people saw a man die, and then they had breakfast with him on the beach on Sunday afternoon. People saw a man die and then they talked to him as they walked along a road on Sunday afternoon. People saw a man die and then they got to sit with him and eat fish in a meeting of a huge group of people. They saw a man die and they got to hang out with him. They got to hear him teach. They got to see him alive and knew that he was just as alive as we are here today. That's why what we're talking about today is the most important message that we can share as a church. That's why we want to take the time to do that today. Now, one resurrection is a miracle. If that only happened one time, that's a miracle. But I want to tell you that today, you can experience that again. And what you can experience is you can experience your resurrection. Because what what we know from the Scripture to be true, what I know from my own life to be true, is that sin kills the soul. And without Jesus, we are living in sin, and sin has killed your soul. And so even though you're walking around, you're really dead. And it's like that movie, The Sixth Sense, I See Dead People, and that's what, that's what you are without Jesus, is you're dead, walking around, going to work every day. You think you're alive, but you're dead on the inside. And what the message of the cross, the message of the resurrection can do for you today is you can be brought back to life. You can, you can turn away from that sin, give your life to Jesus, and He can bring you from death to life just like He came out of the tomb and came back to life. See, Jesus has already done all the work. He died on the cross for your sins. He came back to life on Sunday morning. The work's done. All you have to do now is you just have to receive it. You can't work your way into it, but He already did. All you have to do is receive it. I want to pray here in just a second. And after I pray, our, our band's going to be up here. They're going to they're be playing a song. We're going to have a couple of our elders down front. And uh, you have an opportunity today to come and give your life to Jesus. To, to come and, and just say, I'm dead in sin and I want, to be, I want to be made alive again. I want my soul to be alive and just come and talk to these guys. Maybe you're here and you already, you're already a believer in Jesus. You're already alive and, 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 and your sin is dead and you're alive again and, and you just want to celebrate that and you just want to come down and you want to pray. You want to thank Jesus for the cross, thank Him for the resurrection and, and lay something at His feet. You can come down here and do that. This is open for anybody who wants to come. But I want you to know today that the resurrection that happened 2,000 years ago can lead to your resurrection today. Let me pray for us, and then you'll have an opportunity to come. Father God, thank you that you have given us an opportunity to be made alive again. That we know that, that sin kills the soul, Sin destroys our lives, and thank you that that now we have an opportunity to, through the cross, through the resurrection, to give our lives to you, and you to make us alive again, for you to make something beautiful out of the life we've messed up. I pray that as we do that today, that if there's anyone here that's holding back, that's needs to make that decision, is not going to do it because they're scared of what someone's going to think, I pray that you overcome all of that and you allow them to be freed up to move in the direction you want them to move. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.